Welcome to 25 Stocks at Christmas presented by Chit Chat Money. Today we have an interview with Francisco Oliveira and we talk Altice USA or is it Altice? Uh, we'll find out because yeah. we're recording this prehand. But. That's right, we are. And Francisco, from what we know, is sort of a media expert. And so this is sort of right up his alley. Uh, they are one of the largest broadband communications and video services uh, in the U.S. So... It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. But before we get to that, we have a word from our partners. I think it's my turn for the sales pitch. Go ahead. So it's $10 off uh, at your 7investing membership. It's one month. You don't have to renew it. You're not locked into anything. It's just one month, 7 bucks altogether for 7 picks. Plus, the picks are on fire. So, I mean, it's going to pay for they, itself. They have, yeah, great compounded returns. You can check out their returns on, on their site. Um, it's been fantastic. You have some, you know. Ten bucks off the first month is a sweet deal. No lock-in. So yeah. try it out. See if you like it. All you got to do is use code CCM at checkout. Here you go. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Today, we are welcomed by Francisco Oliveira. I am going to let Francisco introduce himself. So uh, what do you do now and how did you get into the world of investing? Yes, um, you know, great to be with you guys here today. Um, I run a, a, a investment fund in San Juan, Puerto Rico called Arabilo Capital Fund. Um, got into investing, got the investing bug early, uh, primarily thanks to my dad and reading the uh, Warren Buffett books, Joel Greenblatt, and went to college to, at Bentley University. Went to Wall Street after that. And a couple of years later, had had the opportunity to start the fund. Um, so, yeah, that's how and, clean and we're path. talking Altice USA today. So uh, how'd you come across Altice? Altice USA is a the fourth largest cable company in the United States. And I came across it. I followed, I followed the cable industry in the U.S. Um, for many years now, um, especially since I started the, the fund. So primarily through Charter and Comcast through that lens. So when Altice went uh, public a couple of years ago, um, I always had my eye on it and studied the business just because I follow the industry, but it's become a much more interesting business uh, this year as an investment. Okay. And then what does Altice do? I know it's like a typical, uh, you know, broadband provider, cable provider. How do they, are they really similar to Comcast and Charter? Do they have any other businesses? You know, what does Altice do for, for investors? Yeah, I, I'd say it's, it's very similar to Charter, but Charter is a much larger business. I would think of Charter as a, a super regional um, with their, the scale that they have in the, in the number of broadband subscribers. Altice USA is more, uh, it's the fourth largest in the United States as a cable business, but it's much smaller. It has about 4.7 uh, million broadband subscribers. It's got a huge uh, base in the New York and tri-state area. Um, it's really a combination of two businesses that, that were basically merged together by the LT's management team, which primarily an, an umbrella of companies that came from Europe, but LTS USA was spun out afterwards. And the two businesses were Cablevision which was owned by the Dolan family. If you're familiar with AMC Networks, uh, Madison Square uh, Gardens and the Knicks. And, and uh, the new with Knicks, huh? He's been yeah. there a lot for the Knicks, huh? So the, exactly. So they used to, oh, so Cablevision had, used to have um, AMC Networks and the Knicks and the real estate all, and the regional sports network all in one company. They basically broke that apart and, Later, Altice bought Cablevision, combined it with a, uh, another smaller cable company called Suttlelink. And it's more in the southern part. It's a smaller business, but it's more in the uh, southern uh, part of the U.S. So it's Tri-State, Suttlelink uh, as well. 
more more of a smaller scale type of uh, cable business um, compared to a charter. Okay. And they own uh, they own Cheddar too, don't they? That's that yes, right? yes, yes. They bought Cheddar. It was a small acquisition. I think it okay. was under maybe if you include earnouts around three hundred million uh, in that range, maybe even lower. They do own a some. Uh, local news channels and very small portion of the, the the profitability of the business. It's hardly material. And I think they saw Cheddar as an interesting way uh, to integrate that with the cable business, potentially participate in advertisement opportunities across the news networks. But I don't think it's been, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure the Cheddar acquisition has been an absolute failure, but I don't think it's something, it's really not something you're betting on when you buy the company at this point. Okay. And then for people may be a bit like some people who know the cable industry know how it works. Can you kind of explain a bit how, you know, they get into households, how there's really only one player in these certain regions? Um, you know, why is that? Uh, because when people look at it, they kind of think, you know, all right, well, I know they provide uh, Wi-Fi and stuff like that, but they, they don't really know how it works. Also, what do you uh, just broadly, what do you like? What drew you to cable? What do you like about that business? I know you're big into cable and media, right? Yes. So the cable business, what's, what's always been pretty interesting to me is, is two parts of it. One, you have a relationship with the customer that's a recurring revenue business that they pay their bill monthly to have that relationship with you. It's very real estate like. And then the cable business, what, what's interesting to me about it is really it's all about broadband. I think sometimes in the media, um, especially going back you know, seven years, five years ago, it's all about the concerns of, hey, they sell video, they sell channels, um, that they sell pay TV, that part of the business is secular decline, but actually the margin that, margins in that business uh, have been declining for some while. So what's attractive to me, recurring revenue business, broadband is super important. It's like you, you spoke about earlier, it's really tough to have very two strong competitors in one market, let alone three, you're basically having to wire uh, houses, you know, dig up the streets or attach to the poles, have the plant, um, acquire the customer, market to them. Very, very capital intensive business. And if you basically offer the same product, have to make this, the same amount of capital investment and have a price war with each other. Um, if you have two very strong competitors, it's, it's, it's a really a, a bad recipe. So over time, um, it's really become more of a one player, uh, one player industry. There's some markets where, where, where they're more dense, there's more competition, or there's certain subsidies in some states, there might be other participants. Um, part of the, we can get into this a little later when you're, when you're counterpoints, but in, in the Cablevision area of the business, the tri-state area, um, they have a lot of competition from fiber-based players like Verizon Fios who made a huge investment. Um, that, that investment's billions, billions, billions of dollars and it didn't, it didn't end up being very profitable for Verizon. And they divested a lot of those assets to players like Frontier, which ended up going bankrupt. So it's, it's a very tough business to given the, the capital intensity of it, um, or infrastructure like getting into the person's home, acquiring the customer. But after you made the investment and you maintain the plant and you acquire the customer, and if you don't have a strong competitors, it's basically a very, very high margin business on the broadband side. And you have that recurring capital that I talked about, talked about earlier. It's very real estate-like, high margin, leverageable. Um, so you, you can put more debt on the balance sheet to, to boost the equity returns. It's not bulletproof. I think, you know, Darling today, Charter Communications actually went bankrupt during the financial crisis. So you can go, you can take things to the limit. But if you run those business well, given the high margin cash flow nature of the business, the broadband business, it's certainly uh, a product that you really can't live without. Um, there's been some surveys where people would rather like have broadband and milk in their house. Um, and 
So it's yeah, it's extremely important. Did you, say, did you say broadband rather than milk? That's yeah, good, there's that's a good there was a apparently it was a survey a while back. It kind of like I was I just kind of laughed at it, but um, I'm was not sure if it's like you know who knows what these surveys right and sample yeah. size etc. But it, it it was kind of funny and and today um, with COVID it has become even more important, right? So you've seen a trend where people that maybe had subpar uh, internet service, maybe a copper player, a legacy plant that doesn't provide as fast internet is more likely to subscribe to a, a high-speed cable um, broadband uh, business and, or upgrade their speeds and pay more. So it's become, it's always been, in my mind, in my framework and looking at things, uh, I always saw that having high speed internet in your house that's very reliable it's just a, it's just essential right and the business the economics behind that business you, because you, you can have essential businesses without necessarily good economics but if the economics behind that business are strong in their recurring nature and high margin i think it's it's a very very attractive business to start with so the importance of the business in my mind of the industry was always going to increase. So that's why I think overall the cable business is very uh, attractive to me. Okay. And then, so say someone wants to raise their, um, their speed, right? How much incremental cost is that for someone like Altice? Is it almost pure margin? It's, it's almost pure margin. Yeah. Okay. It's almost pure margin. It, you know, it, if they're, if they have to change, you know, Let's say this is a customer that, that's been a customer of Altis or a regular cable company with a very long time and has uh, an old modem in their house, then there will be some CapEx associated with that because you need to replace that modem. But typically, typically it's, it's, it's a very uh, high, high margin. It's, it, it's not, there's not an extra added cost to it. Okay. And then for Altis uh, specifically, I know I, when I started digging into this, I kind of just looked up the ticker on Twitter to see what people said. And there was some sort of strife about management. So what do you think about management just broadly? I have a different view. I think management hasn't been perfect. Um, when they, they made a lot of headlines once they bought Cablevision and Suttlelink and merged them because they basically went out there and said, you know, the margins of these U.S. cable business are way, way too low. We're talking about the mid 30% EBITDA margin, maybe even low 30% EBITDA margin business. And they were like, we're going to take this a lot higher, over 40%. And today, Altice's EBITDA margins are approaching 50%. Wow. So when, when they said that, uh, they announced those deals in 2015, when they said that at the time, um, people were like, they're going to destroy the business. They're going to do like a, a 3G capital co uh, cost cutting to the bone. They're going to take uh, investment out of, out of the plants. It's going to have worse customer service. Um, they, when they bought this business, it was under an umbrella of their European businesses. So they own cable and wireless businesses in Europe. And those suffered for other reasons. And eventually they IPO'd in the U.S., and then the European business had like management fees that they charge to the U.S. business. They ended up doing like a special dividend with, of the U.S. business levering up after the IPO, which people viewed as kind of like a bailout to the European side. They eventually spun that out. There was some compensation things that probably weren't too, um, you know, kind of kosher to, say, to put it that way. Right. And... <laughs> So we, we, people had a bad perception and even the, the guys from charter were like, look, if their experiment works, then, you know, it'll be good for the entire cable business. If their experiment doesn't work and they blow up and we go, well, we can buy them. And I think that people laughed and the, a lot of people have a lot of respect for charter and their management team and the kind of John Malone uh, umbrella of people. Um, but people kind of, you know, they, they didn't take them that seriously. It was levered at, once they combined Suttlelink and Cablevision, they levered that business at seven times. They had to issue some debt I'm talking about. I think it might have been approaching double digits or at least very, very high single digits in terms of the, the, the subordinated part of the capital structure. 
So there was a lot not to necessarily like about the business. Let's fast forward to 2020, right? They get, a, you know, basically fully spin off Altice USA, get rid of those kind of management fees that they have with the European business. They actually proved that they could raise margins without jeopardizing their service. We're able to continue to grow customers. They actually, in, in, I mentioned earlier in the tri-state area and in New York, they compete a lot with Verizon Fios, which is completely fiber-based. It's a, a head-on competition. They were able to defend themselves pretty well and, and boost um, the minimum speeds to be higher than Verizon Fios. So they actually invested more fiber in their plant. They were able to increase price in, in the broadband business because they improved the service and improved the speeds. The video business as in, in terms of the pay TV universe um, is not, it's in secular decline, but as it, they declined in video customers, the video business wasn't really extremely profitable for them anyway. So if a video, if a customer drops the video business, keeps broadband, but pays a little bit more, can actually be even better for the free cash flow. Um, so it just became a much better business, much more, much more well run. The multiple came out, came down drastically, and they got a a little, you know, they they had private equity partners when they acquired these assets as well, and those began to sell, and they basically all cashed out. The 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 Altice, uh business in in Europe sold all their shares, became a much cleaner um, shareholder base, cleaner structure. They proved that they are very, very competitive, a very, very strong business. They delevered. So talking about it was levered at over seven times EBITDA. They basically took down to that below five. And then they, you know, after they streamlined everything, they started repurchasing shares. And I saw that you know, situation unfold over time as a follower of, of the industry. And, and then this year, um, basically, obviously the market sold, sold off incredibly. And in the March, April range, basically trading at a 20, 20% plus free cash flow margin. Uh, free cash flow multiple uh, yield. I'm sorry. Yeah, yield. Wow. That's uh so, so that's good. What what has happened uh, since then is, in my mind, as as a, a follower of the cable industry, they're at a point where they're the fourth largest player. Number one is Comcast, and it's very difficult for Comcast to do deals. Number two is Charter, and and, and they've acquired a lot of cable business, and they have an, an exceptional management team. Number three is Cox, which is is privately owned and uh, by a family and basically what's been reported is that they're really not interested in selling. So they're at a point where, you know, balance sheet's cleaner, uh, their, their operating efficiencies and, and their competitive wise are doing very well. So in my mind, you know, the stock fell up this year, the broadband business overperformed. So what's next, right? So I thought they would probably either make deals, acquire other smaller cable businesses, many are private um, or they would uh, repurchase a lot of shares. And, and the management team is actually going back, actually give them a, a lot of credit. They're actually very shareholder focused. So they were able to prove the, the naysayers on, on running the operations, but the CEO Dexter Goey and kind of the, uh, the controlling or quasi controlling shareholder project dry are, are very shareholder minded and, and they you know, started to repurchase a, a, a lot of their stock, their own stock this year. Um, and if we, we fast forward a little bit after we kind of get away from the, the lows of the market in the COVID crisis, they try to partner, they try to acquire a, a business called Atlantic Broadband that's owned by a cable, a cable communications business in Canada. And it was a, a little bit of a complicated deal. It was unsolicited. The Canadian business is owned by, by a family in Canada that has voting control. They try to partner with, with Rogers Communication to buy the entire U.S. and, cable and Canadian assets, but just take the, the U.S. business and give the rest, the Canadian business, uh, to Rogers. 
They raise their bid. They try to negotiate, but no dice. So after that, um, it was very clear that the Canadian family did not want to deal with, with Altice USA or Rogers. At that point, it, it became an even more interesting stock because in my mind, if they can't do this, this deal, um, they have a lot of uh, cash flow that they're producing and a lot of balance sheet capacity to re repurchase shares or do acquisitions. So the only thing that they could do in my mind was, was repurchase shares. So basically shortly after they decided to not, you know, they weren't basically allowed to bid uh, for Atlantic broadband. They, they announced a tender, a tender offer to repurchase a you know, huge amount uh, in the teens of, of their own shares, $2.5 billion of, of stock that's going to close. The tender offer is going to close a little later this month. Um, and they've repurchased a bunch of shares this year. And, and now it's a little bit, um, and I'm going on a lot of the story, but at, at the moment, post the, the tender, uh, it's actually a little messy because they sold a, a smaller uh, commercial fiber business that they had. They sold all 49%, uh, 49.99% to be exact, of a commercial fiber business to, to Morgan Stanley Infrastructure Partners. And they were gonna, they're gonna receive, you know, net of tax proceeds, 1.1 billion. Um, so you have to adjust the divestiture and the cash are coming in, and then you have to adjust uh, the the amount that they're gonna repurchase through the tender. And basically, you got a a 17 billion dollar pro forma market cap business um, that's in the last 12 months pro forma generated 1.7 billion in free cash flow and they're going to be able to delever de extremely fast because they levered up a little bit to to do the tender and the buyback and at this point still trading in a 10 percent free cash flow yield uh very resilient business recurring free cash flow driven by the broadband business and doing well because of covid and in this work from home world uh you can't have a uh, you know, a bad broadband connection in your house or apartment. So the trends are very, very favorable to them. Competitive, competitively, they've been great. The free cash flow is very high. Um, and as you delever, you're gonna create a lot of equity value going forward post that, that tender. So I know that was a, a mouthful on, <laughs> on the trajectory of Altice USA, but that's uh, some of the reasons why I think the, it's an interesting, interesting thing here. No, that makes sense. That was a great overview, Ryan. That's, do you have any no, questions or thorough thesis? And I mean, the more you talked about it, the more I thought like, yeah, the need for high speed internet, I mean, is it's not higher now away. than it maybe ever has been. And it's not going away. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, that's why, look, if you want to compete with, with these guys um, and something like, for example, charter CEO, Tom Rutledge has said, we're going to keep improving the, the broadband business. We're going to keep raising speeds. We're going to, continue to make the service better. So if you want to compete with us, you have to overbuild us. So you have to dig up, you know, the streets or attach cables to the poles and you have to knock on everyone's door to see if they want to buy your service. Um, you, you're going to have to, you know, so acquiring the customers, it's very expensive in addition. So it's a business that if you actually, if you treat it right, right? So if you maintain the business pretty well, continue to improve the service, raise speeds, um, it's just really hard for anybody else to come in and, and, and you know, famously um, about five or six years ago, when you would listen to the quarterly uh, conference calls for the cable businesses in, U in the US, the biggest risk was something called Google Fiber. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and Google Fiber, they wanted, their, their vision was, that you know digging up streets attaching poles and putting fiber-based very high-speed internet and disrupting the cable business well they quickly figured out that the the capex that was going to be required and the, the the marketing spend and the customer acquisition costs on top of that was just going to make the the economics extremely horrible and you had basically a cfo of google coming in that's much more disciplined than hey like you know, when they divide, when they created the alphabet structure and, and they separated the, the different businesses and the other bets on one side and the search and YouTube on the other and, 
some of the other businesses. He basically took a look and said, like, there's no way we're going to, we're really going to do a nat uh, U.S. national fiber service because <laughs> it's, it's way too hard. It's going to be return on equity on that or, or assets. It's just going to be horrible because something that's kind of funny is that when they announced, hey, we're going to X county and X state and we're going to build Google Fiber, the cable business in that, in that area automatically increased speeds without raising prices which makes it even harder right for the for a new player to come in huh. so run right and, and 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 operated well it's 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 very difficult business to kind of disrupt um it's it's a look it's kind of what reminds me what warren buffett says about the energy business the energy business for him is a, it's, it's not necessarily even better than the energy business, by the way. But he likes to say that the energy business for Berkshire is not that one that will necessarily make them super rich, but it'll keep them rich. Yeah. Um, because it's really hard to come in and disrupt, you know, basically an energy provider that runs so efficiently and provides a good service to customers because the capital required. Um, the cable business is like that, but it's, it's so essential and the consumption keeps going up that people are willing to pay, pay more for it. In, in, in terms of the monthly prices. Yeah, I mean, if Google is thinking there's going to be too much CapEx, that shows that even a well-capitalized player that's doing, what, like $25 billion in free cash flow a year doesn't think it's worth <laughs> it. So, I mean, yeah. I that's pretty good. Yeah. All right, any, uh, anything else, Brian? Or we gonna... I think that's it for the first half. We're going to hit a quick ad break here, and then on the second half, we'll try to poke some holes in Francisco's thesis. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in the next. Next up, we have Devil's Advocate. So for anyone that doesn't know, this is sort of our uh, poking holes. We're trying to make sure the thesis is bulletproof, if you will. And so we're going to provide some counterpoints and let Francisco try to refute them. My first one, um, when I started sort of digging in for some negatives on the business. A lot of people mentioned that their strategy could potentially uh, tarnish their business. And I, I know you already sort of mentioned this, but uh, Todd Wenny, and I think was the one who wrote a piece on mortgaging your moat, which is like you're sacrificing your long-term customer relationships for short-term profits. Is there any concern for you that that's what's going on here with Altice? No, it's not. And you can see it because they've, they've actually accelerated the, the amount of customers that they're adding during COVID. So it, it, you can basically see that's a service that's it's in high demand and adding value. They, I think an, an aspect that um, people have complained about as well with LTS USA is that it doesn't grow as fast in terms of the number of customers versus a charter or a Comcast, because those are, you know, basically super regional, almost national companies. So they're everywhere. And there are many States that have basically inexistent uh, competition and, and Altice, like I mentioned earlier, goes head to head with files. Um, so that makes the growth uh, a, a tougher, but it, it also uh, has, you know, you basically have to be in your toes and compete every day. And if you Google, um, not Google, but if you go to Altice, USA's website and you look at the pricing and the packaging and that's available to customers in the New York, New York area. And you compare that with the offers that Verizon files has Altice's offers are have higher speeds and it's cheaper. Hmm. So they've continued to invest in the business, make it better and compete with, with a player that was actually uh, doing some harm to Cablevision before Altice actually acquired, acquired them. So I'm actually pretty confident that they're, they're, they're basically uh, willing to compete and, and invest in the business to not get too complacent, right? Um, and, you know, mortgage your mode and just raise prices without increasing the quality of the service. Um, they've, they've added a, 
a wire, a lot of the cable companies in the U.S. have added a wireless business that basically it's um, an MVNO. So they basically license um, a, a operator's uh, wireless business and sell and, and wholesale it and, and sell it to the, the customers and bundle it with broadband. And they've you know done some incredible offers, twenty bucks a month for for wireless and. And they use the T-Mobile and, and Sprint's network, which is a network that's investing a lot in, in high quality. So they're willing to compete and, you know, offer very attractive uh, products and wireless. And that business is still so small, still growing. It's only, I think it's uh, under 200,000 uh, customers, uh, maybe in 100,000 range. And so they're willing to invest. It's a business that's still losing money as a, uh, for the company, but it's, it's one that it's, it's adding value to the customers and one that has a lot of potential. So I, I don't think they're complacent. I think they want to continue to, to see opportunities and they find um, businesses that are, that are smaller that they can add and continue to improve. They'll do that as well. So uh, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about that. So you, oh, as I say, you mentioned that their EBITDA margins are, I think it was the EBITDA margins are much higher than the traditional business. Um, how did they get there? Was there costs? Then, then the traditional industry or then the industry. Yeah. Traditional industry. Well, I think part. it was just historically, but okay. so, well, there's two parts there and, okay. and historically the, the, the EBITDA margins were, were a lot lower and, Part of the reason why is that there were Cablevision in particular had a lot of, let's call it unnecessary corporate overhead. Um, a lot of executives with huge salaries, it was family controlled, big crawling headquarters. So they basically run it, ran it um, in a way where more entrepreneurial to, to be, to be clear. And what they did was let's, let's not invest in, in areas that it's just waste and, and it's, let's invest in areas that will, will provide value to our customers. So they actually increased the, 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 their investment in, in their plant in terms of uh, investing in fiber, right? So given that their, their tri-state area cable business competes pretty head on with, with Fios um, that's fiber based, which is superior to the, to the cable plant. They're, act, they're actually upgrading their network uh, to, to fiber. So but there was a lot of waste in the business to, to answer shortly, but the cable industry overall, their margins have been naturally going up. So they participated in taking some waste, but they've participated as well in the industry, uh, the industry doing well in terms of margins. And why is that happening? The reason why that's happening is that the pay TV uh, universe, uh, the, the bundle was a much bigger portion of profitability, but that's, that's a much lower margin business because you sell the monthly pay TV uh, cost to the customers, right? But you got to pay ESPN, you got to pay NBC, you got to pay et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Fox. Um, and those are variable costs on a, on a per customer basis. Very, very, high and those prices are increasing every year. So ESPN um, and sports-based channels are seeing their cost of the leagues go up. So they pass their costs to the cable companies, the cable companies pass the cost to, to the customers. And that's created, you know, obviously, and for other reasons in the next Netflix effect, et cetera, but those are facing headwinds. And so there's been, those customers are declining they're just saying, look, we're going to pass that, you know, if ESPN wants to raise their price, we'll just raise it to the customer. If the customer wants to leave, but stick with us in broadband, that that's going to be a much higher margin customer. So the business, the revenue mix has been shifting to broadband and the margins of broadband are much higher and the pricing of broadband is going up and that's creating the entire industry's EBITDA margin uh, to go up. And the capital intensity of the entire industry is going down because a big portion of the cable business uh, capital expenditures are actually set top boxes for the customers, the pr customer premise equipment, what they call in their financial statements. And when you don't subscribe to 
the pay TV bundle, right? You don't need that big box. That's right. it's actually, it costs, you know, if it costs, I don't know what it costs these days. I think the price has been going up for the cable business. Um, but let's say it costs a hundred bucks. It's a hundred bucks for a customer. Multiply that for, for by millions of customers. Um, it's a lot of money over time. So if you're, the, the cable business becoming more broadband based and that's making the cable business more capital efficient at the same time. And they're also, and on top of that, um, some cable business are saying like, look, we'll sell you a paid TV and don't use our set top box. We'll give you an Apple TV and you know, you pay for it and you get the app or a cable, you know, the charter app for as, as an example, and you watch your, your channels virtually, or you get a Roku device. Um, so the, the entire cable industry is becoming way more capital efficient um, with higher margins. And LT saw an opportunity of a, a business with a lot of fat in his, his cost structure, took that fat out, but also invested in fiber and at the same time benefited from, from all these industry trends. Okay. So it's not a, 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 a situation where they uh, just cut costs like crazy that hurt the business. Okay. And then I guess one other part that people probably look at uh, the debt kind of jumps out of you when you first look at this business. Um, a lot of people might think that the debt load would hamper returns over the long run. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in these numbers, but they have around 25 billion in long-term debt and they generate, uh, like you said, what in between one and a half and 2 billion in free cash flow um, annually. Uh, that may, you know, even if they are generating that cash flow, they're still going to have to pay down this debt. Um, can you maybe explain a little bit what their debt structure is when they're going to have to pay back this stuff? You know? So, yeah, so they are definitely more levered, uh, more highly levered than their, their cable industry peers, especially after um, executing this tender offer for two and a half billion dollars. So pro for our numbers are in the same ballpark. So pro forma for the tender offer and pro forma um, for the recent uh, sale of the commercial fiber business, they have a little bit over 26 billion in debt and they, uh, in LTM, this is a business that's growing, right? So it's probably better to look at it in a next 12 months basis, but yeah. to be conservative, let's, let's look at the last 12 months. It's, it's probably around a little over $1.7 billion in free cash flow. Interest expense pro forma on a cash basis should be under 1.2, 1.2 billion. Um, and CapEx is around 1.1. And EBITDA is a little bit over four. So you got a little bit over four in EBITDA, um, a little bit over 1.1 in, in CapEx, and around 1.2 billion uh, in interest expense. So it is aggressive, but when you think about the type of business that they have, recurring revenue uh, business customers that are paying you uh, a, monthly, a monthly bill, and, and your customer base is actually stronger during COVID and growing and they want to, and they're upgrading speeds. So in the, in the last quarterly call, I think the, the broadband revenue was growing in, in, in the double digits and a big portion of that was price increases, but not the price increases of a, Hey, just lamp higher prices at customers because many were just upgrading to higher and higher speeds. Um, so, you you do have a uh, a high a large amount of debt uh, EBITDA debt to EBITDA basis is over six times a charter communications and this is six times pro forma a charter communications um, is four to four and a half Comcast is a little bit more conservative and they're um, they're taking their leverage down under three times over time and probably closer to two times so it is more aggressive. Um, and that's why I think it, it probably has the high free cash flow yield, but given that they're returning so much capital to, to shareholders, I think that makes it attractive and, and makes the risk reward, risk reward interesting. And, and even, you know, it's gotten a nice bump since the, since they, they accelerated their buyback, um, starting in October and then they announced a tender, um, uh, late, late last month. So it's had a nice run up, but if you, if you 
eliminate that runoff, we're, we're talking about a pretty high free cash flow yield. And what they decided to do was, look, let's, let's just take down our equity by, by nearly 20%, right? So in a very, very short period of time, we're talking about, we're talking about months. Uh, so high, high teens in terms of the buyback in, in, in two or three months because they see the operator generating so much free cash flow. They're, they're seeing how their business is doing. They don't have acquisition opportunities ahead. Um, so they think it's, it's a worthwhile uh, use of capital. They've been refinancing debt, lowering their, their, their pricing and, and the debt is, is pushed out and they're continuing to push out. They don't have like a huge uh, maturity, maturity that's coming up that, that would harm it in any way. And, um, and free cash flow and the revolver are there to provide, to provide a lot of liquidity in case, you know, you get another freeze up in the credit markets, but they don't have a situation where they have a lot of maturities coming and they're, they're been actually refinancing a lot this year uh, to lower interest expense. So, so you're, it, it's basically like a, a public uh, LBO, a leveraged buyout of a, a public company with very, very attractive free cash flow with a, a good path going forward. So it's not, there are a lot of investors that would look at the balance sheet and would say, look, this is not necessarily for me um, because they, they, they would say it's not the most conservative thing in the world. And they're probably right. Charter has, Charter has a much, uh, some people even say that Charter's balance sheet's aggressive, but Charter has much lower uh, leverage than they do. Um, but it's, it's a very strong business, very recurring in, uh, revenue in nature. And what they've done is just take down, shrink their equity. Um, and I think that's going to prove worthwhile because going forward, what they're going to do over the next 18 months is just uh, generate the free cash flow, pile up the cash in the balance sheet. And as you naturally delever and the multiple of enterprise value uh, to EBITDA, if it remains stable, you just create you create a lot of equity value. So I think it's, it, it'll be worthwhile, but I would agree. There's just a lot of investors who, who would say this is not for me. And maybe that's why the, the opportunity is here. It's what would have to happen for you to sell it? If you, you know, what would the flip side of your thesis, if you will? Uh, I think two, two main things like, you know, business-wise and valuation-wise, uh, right now, pro forma for this tender, and I'm and I'm assuming very aggressive. Uh, you know, that they're the way the tender works is that they they have offer a range of price of what they were acquire the stock at. The stock is in the third high thirty-four dollar range, and they would buy back stock even at thirty-six, right? So, in my assumptions, I assume they just buy all that stock at thirty-six, which is not necessarily the case, but Basically, even with those assumptions, it's trading at 10% free cash flow yield. I think if it goes to something like 5% free cash flow yield, then look, I mean, the leverage and everything else, then it's not worth having a 5% free cash flow yield for this stock. So on a valuation basis, yes, if it happens a huge run up in a very, very short period of time, um, then it, it's probably worthwhile to sell. I don't think it's going to get to the free cash flow yield of 5% anytime soon, I think. This business is just going to generate cash flow, delever, and and and, and eventually um, that yield prove worthwhile to shareholders. On the flip side, what's in the operations? I think what's more interesting, what what would have to happen in the operations for me to say, look, um, this is probably a sell. And mainly, I think if they have issues with the broadband business in terms of competition with files, um, I think they've been competing very, very well against files. But if files all of a sudden decides to like, hey, we're just gonna lower prices, raise speeds and go to war with you, then that's a difficult situation. I don't think it's, I don't think Verizon is in a position to do that. They are a business that is very highly dependent on paying a high dividend yield to shareholders. Um, and that's their focus in generating, keeping margins high and generating free cash flow and they don't have a need uh, to do that. I think if, if you all of a sudden see that, you know, they get complacent with how they invest in the broadband business and the cable plant, if they never, you know, if they don't keep raising speeds annually, if they don't keep offering 
um, better service to customers. So one of the things that they're behind versus Charter is that Charter during the pandemic, they were in, at one point able to, to do self-install for customers for like 90% of customers, something very high. It was a very short period of time that they did this. So the, the cable guy didn't have to go to your house or apartment. They mailed you the stuff, send you instructions or talk to you by phone and you self-install. Altice is very is behind in that, but they said that next year they're going to be, you know, they're going to be able to do a huge portion of self-install. If you see that they committed to that in the quarterly earnings, if you see that they're really not doing that, um, if you see that, you know, they said they're going to invest more in fiber, they, if you see that they're not doing the, the making the fiber investment, if you, you kind of see cracks in what management's telling you that they're going to do, but they don't do it or don't execute that's when you you kind of get some signs that they're not operating the business at at a at a high level at a, at a, a level that you would want to see them operating at so you got to look for those cues um in terms of the operations and i think that's more interesting to me because for me i would rather just the stock stay at the current price i'm going to buy back a, a huge percentage free cash flow yields high they're going to delever it's going to create a lot of value um, over time. So I'm not really worried about the valuation per se. Can it go to the 15% free cash flow yield? Yes. It'll just make it more attractive. But if you see signs that they're complacent with their business, um, then that's more worrisome. Um, Charter basically went bankrupt during the financial crisis because they were highly levered, but they didn't invest in the business. Uh, the speeds were very, very low. Um, and they were, just the customer um, service was horrible. Customer service was horrible. And, and when the new team came involved, they actually had to raise capital expenditure through the roof to get the, the cable plant uh, where it should be. So you just don't want them to be complacent in, in the targets that they have in mind, that the investments in, in the, with the customers that they have and that they're competing very strongly, continuing to add customers. Um, and continuing to see customer usage go up. So they cite, you know, how, how many uh, gigabits each customer is using. And you want to see that, you want to see the customer viewing the business as more and more important over time and not necessarily have a battle with the business. So it's not one number that you're looking at, but you're looking at all these things together. Okay. And then, to wrap things up with the last question, I know you mentioned a few things that they are changing. Um, is there anything that they're doing right now that you would like to see them do differently? Um, I, you know, something I mentioned earlier, just getting more aggressive in terms of the self-install. I think they could be a little bit more aggressive on the pay TV side. The pay TV uh, side is a little bit more bloated for them because they're in New York, right? So there's a lot of regional sports networks there. So the, the cost of the pay TV is just much higher. They could be more aggressive. They could say like, look, we're not going to invest that much in set top box. We're just going to send Roku's to customers that want them. And then you can stream the channel. Um, if, if discovery channel, had, for example, has a renewal agreement with Altice, Altice should be aggressive. Like, look, we're not going to rate, we're not going to accept um, a higher rate because customers aren't watching your channels. So I think being a little bit more aggressive in efficiencies and negotiations on the pay TV side would be nice to see. Might not matter as much at the end of the day because that side of the business is in a secular decline. And as you drop that off, margins go up anyways. It'll be also interesting to see um, how the wireless business uh, performs for them. They're, it's it's an investment, so they're they're losing money on acquiring customers, but they're basically leasing the T-Mobile network, and and T-Mobile is doing a lot of interesting things. Maybe they should partner with T-Mobile. So what how that wireless side of the business evolves will be interesting, even though it's not material today. Um, so those are some of the things I'm 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 looking at. Um, how can they just continually make the business better for the customers? Um, so I think on the pay TV side and the wireless side are very interesting because I'm, I'm confident of what they're doing in the broadband business. They're, they're, they're being aggressive and, and raising speeds. 
um, and, and adding a better uh, broadband product to customers. But they could uh, do, do some interesting things on the pay TV and the wireless side. Would you want to see them sell the pay TV side? Like if they got an offer for it? It sounds like you're really optimistic about the broadband side, but not so much on the pay TV. It's really hard to, to, to break that apart and, and sell it. It's, um, it's part of the same infrastructure. Okay. So if you, let's put it this way, if you basically shut down the pay TV business, it creates more capacity in the network to offer higher speeds. So it's not like an isolated business in that sense. It's not like a direct TV. It's not like them offering broadband and then oh, right. a dish in your house. So, and yeah. so it's not, it's very, very much part of, of the cable plant. So okay. think about a direct TV when it rains, the signal gets bad. If it rains, you know, as long as there's power, there's power and there's no, nothing that falls in the cable wire itself. Um, you're still going to have the signal for pay TV. So it's, it would be very difficult to sell that, the, the pay TV side of it. Okay. It's better to just run it for, for whatever profit you can get out of it. And if it goes down, it just goes down and your broadband margins, your overall margins will get higher. And if you can find more efficiencies and customer churn goes down then even better. Right. So many of the smaller cable businesses, there's another one called, cable one that's public the ticker is cabo they've j just basically said like look screw it we're not you know we're leaving the pay tv business for dead it's, it's going to be all about broadband and they have the highest margins in the industry so because they just and the highest multiple trades and the some people would would argue why the multiple is so high but um it uh it's it's not going to be it's not the end, it's not the end of the world if, if they continue to have the pay TV business. They can make it better and, and reduce churn versus uh, you know, okay, they can't well, sell it. So. I think all right. that's all the questions Brett and I have. Where can uh, listeners find you if they want uh, to see more? Yeah, follow me on, on Twitter um, at Franco Oliveira, okay. and so happy to talk investing with with anybody. Hope you all enjoyed the, the episode. Yeah, I think we've got a great, great overview of, I mean, Altice, but just the cable business in general. Like, that's something I didn't really dug into much. And I think that, that people will, you know, they'll like it. So. Definitely. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, uh, we want to remind our listeners that we are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.